Hi, and welcome to the second episode of Adulting. Today, we're today's topic is calories and calories count. Um, again, my name is Ryan Mitchell. Um, I'm a licensed professional counselor in the state of Oklahoma, um, and I've been working in eating disorder, eating disorder recovery um, for quite a few years. Um, and have been working my own eating disorder recovery for many, many more years. And I am joined with, by Tara Rolfes. Um, <laughs> my really only experience in eating disorders is that I'm in recovery, like year one. I'm based out of San Antonio, Texas, which because I've heard Texas is better than Oklahoma. That's what they tell us down here. <laughs> And um, I'm also studying to be a licensed therapist. Yay! Yay. Work with teenagers, because I get teenagers. I like teenagers. They're tough, though. They come full on with the snark. I'm okay with that. (laughs) Okay, so today we're talking about calorie requirements and recovery, and this is a hot topic. Um, and Tara, I hear your, your treatment team wasn't too fond of this topic. No, God, no. They're like, that might be triggering. What else are you talking about? It's like metabolism and exercise. <laughs> and triggering. Okay. So for, for the lay folk out there, trigger, a trigger is anything that kind of brings on a disordered eating behavior or thought. I mean, would you put it another way? Yeah, I don't like the word trigger because I, I don't think it fits. But, like, yeah, it's anything that'll make you think, oh, God, what am I doing with my life? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, and they thought it would be, can you share, or are you willing to share at all why it would be triggering, talking about calories? Um, because... And like, maybe for some of our listeners. Maybe for some of our listeners. Sure. Maybe for them, too, if they listen, because I haven't really been open about why. But (laughs) I just, like, because my, uh, I guess, eating disorder or whatever was, a lot of it was counting calories, and I wouldn't let myself eat, like, over 500 some days, some days over 800 or whatever. And so since I'm just coming out of, I'm, like, week two doing better, I had a really bad week, and they're just really protective about the progress I've made since that week so they don't want me to um like relapse back into those behaviors speaking of <laughs> kind of text but yeah 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 and that's makes sense you know they want to keep your recovery moving in the in a forward direction um but I do want to talk a little bit about that that calorie counting can become really obsessive in an eating disorder but at the same time there's like this need to fulfill a certain energy requirement in recovery that you still may also need to be tracking and so it can become really crazy making because on the one hand the disordered part of you who is seeing the tracking is freaking out and then on the other hand the part of you that's in recovery is like I want to eat enough and then the other part of you is like but I'm seeing how much you're eating and that is not okay yeah yeah. Yep. And um, that is definitely the struggle that we're having right now is like finding my edge of tolerance for that. Because mm-hmm. um, like I spoke to my dietitian yesterday, 
It's like, I know what the requirements are in eating disorder recovery, do you? And she said, yeah, but you're just eating a couple of whatever, 100 calories less than that. And I was like, ooh. I was like, no, 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 that's not. Well, let's not say the word just. Yeah, well, that's not, um, that's not what they are. So I sent her the link to um, the famous Ed Institute. You need mm-hmm. to eat how many calories? It's like, maybe you should read this. So I'm fully expecting to go into my appointment on Tuesday with a bigger meal plan. And I hope so. And I know you, I know there's that that push and pull. I know you don't hope so because again, and and I don't think that it'd be too much of a stretch to say in your mind, calories are still equated with weight and fat. Sometimes, but not all the time because like now it's more exchanges or whatever. Like I can kind of see something and break it down into exchanges Mm-hmm. Which is, I think, a new superpower. <laughs> but yeah, and then I can also read nutrition labels, and they don't really bother me that badly. Like if it's something, if it's something like a challenge food or a fear food that I have to eat, and I look at the nutrition label, or it's a restaurant challenge, and the calories are on the menu, yeah, that's some straight up assholery that's about to go down. <laughs> <laughs> like that's what I call. It. I call it Ed assholery. <laughs> So it's funny because like in the same sentence, you said that they don't bother you, but then if you, but then they do because the massholery is going down. Yeah. Like, yeah. If it's, you know, certain foods or whatever, like my fear foods or whatever. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Then those are like the big deal. Um, Where would you say like you hit that threshold where if you saw your meal plan hit X calories, it would just like make your heart pound? Um, like the amount of calories or... Oh God, I think, I think if it got, cause it's not there now, but if it got to like 1800, I would start freaking out a little bit. And what would the freak out tell you? It would tell me that I need to stop and go back to my first meal plan I had, which was super low because I was still trying to learn how to eat again. But no, but like what, what is attached to that calorie? What is that calorie? What is that 1800 meal plan going to do to you? Oh, well, because, like, I've gained 30 pounds since March. And um, so to me, if I raise my meal plan anymore, like, I don't trust that what they're saying is true. Like, if they raise my meal plan more, I'm like, that's not going to work. I'm just going to gain more weight. <laughs> oh, I want to, I want, and I'm going to interject there and refer people, too, to the Ed Institute website. Because there's a wonderful series on gaining weight while, while restricting calories. I've read it. Yeah. And and that's what it like that's the thing. Like the they talk about the catabolic state versus your metabolic state. Um and I guess catabolic is fat burning. Mm-hmm. And you and or converting fat and you know, we breathe it out and pee it out and <laughs> and all kinds of, you know, waste processes. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sweat it out. So there's the catabolic state, but you can't enter that catabolic state if you're in metabolism suppression and your metabolism is going to be suppressed if you're restricting under your body's energy needs. It's naturally going to suppress it. Um, And so I think that that's like your mind knows that you've read that series. You know that if you're not consuming 2,000, 2,500 calories a day that you're in metabolic suppression, which is going to cause you to gain weight. But what, so what do you think it is? What like, what hitch gets in there between like what you've read and the science versus 
trying it. Straight up, it's straight up eating disorder. That's it's just what it is. Like I can read the signs all day and be like, oh yeah, that's so true. That's so good. And then like when it comes to applying it, I'm like, oh, wait, wait a minute. <laughs> Hold on. So far, what I've seen of this isn't true. I've been eating the meal plan and I've been gaining weight like crazy, but also my meal plan is under 2,000 calories, so. Yeah, and there's that that, that catch-22 is like, I'm supposed to be recovering. I'm supposed to, and in your head, you're like, well, my body's going to fix itself and then I'll be at like a, a natural weight. And my natural weight, of course, is going to be thin. <laughs> I know it's not going to be, but still. <laughs> But still, that's, I mean, that's, that's, that's what is so pervasive and I don't think it helps. And here's my little soapbox moment. I don't think it helps that that is what is touted in the culture, whether you, from doctors who say that you should diet, you know, rather than just maybe changing the sources of your food, um, even, not registered dietitians, but almost anybody can call themselves a nutritionist. So nutritionists out there meaning to do well and help people with weight loss are saying you should restrict calories. Like that is the norm across culture. And so recovery is insanely hard because you're trying to stay grounded in recovery and science in a culture that is like science. What's that? Yeah, it's so true. I asked today on Facebook, I asked my friends, I was like, Hey, out of curiosity, how many of you eat three snacks and three meals? Because, you know, I know I'm not the only one, right? And um, there was one person that was close to doing that, and she said that she got up to... And then I asked about how many calories do you think you eat, accounting for, what is it, like people underestimate 30% of their calories or something? Mm-hmm. And, um, and then I asked, you know, do you think this meets your energy needs? And then I had friends, like... Four of them are on the Weight Watchers diet, and they don't count calories, but you count points. <laughs> mm-hmm. And um, other people are in some random diets, but I had one friend that said she was getting 2,000 calories, and that was really helping her with her energy and sleep. And then I had some other friends say, like, they were getting, like, 1,500. I had one friend say that she's definitely getting 1,500 to 2,000, but, like, she's only eating a granola bar for lunch, no breakfast, and a salad for dinner. And so I sent her a message. It was like, hold up. Yeah, how are you possibly getting even I was like, I'm on some of these things. Um. Yeah, and I, I can remember, too, in grad school, there was a um, one of my colleagues lost a lot of weight throughout one of the years in grad school, and I asked her about it. I was like, hey, you know, well, you know, I could stand to lose a few pounds. What's going on with you? And she was like, um, don't do what I'm doing. I'm basically eating an apple and a yogurt a day. I was like, well, first of all, you're aware enough to tell me not to do it, but you're okay. You do you, boo. <laughs> Got you. I think maybe that might be an eating disorder. <laughs> oh, goodness. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, especially as we're approaching the holidays, we get into this really dangerous trap where people, I know, you're like, holidays. But we get into this trap where people are like, Oh, I have to watch what I'm eating and I can't eat beyond 1600 calories a day and they're irritable and exhausted and depressed and wondering why. Harassing you with the Starbucks drive-thru? Oh, mean customers are the worst. They are. And that's the other thing too is trying to recover in a society that only values thin people. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, and they see like, you know, overweight people or whatever normal weight people as lazy and whatever can't possibly be healthy. Which is insane because there's so many things that contradict that. Um, I know so many people that regardless of size, you know, may look, well, and because they are, they look overweight, they are overweight, but they are hiking, running, teaching yoga, you name it. You can do anything regardless of your body size. I mean, within, you know, reason. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> but there is, there's that pervasive myth that like only if you're fit, then you're thin. But there's lots of people who are perfectly fit who do not fit normal, like what you would think of as a fit person appearance wise. <clears throat> and we all have that bias. It's true. We have always, you know, you have to stop and ask yourself, we have no idea why somebody is overweight. We don't know if it's genetics. We don't know if there's a hormone imbalance. We don't know if it's medication related. We don't know if it's lifestyle related or all of the above. And to assume that it's laziness or a lack of willpower or self-control just infuriates me. Yeah. Or that they're eating like, or like they're binge eating. That's... That's the first question my team asked me when they saw that I gained all this weight. Are you binging? I'm like, oh my God, no. <laughs> You're like, no, I'm in metabolic suppression. Do your research. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that's, I mean, we can gain, and our bodies can gain weight for lots of reasons totally unrelated to our food habits. Heal. No. So, um, so since we're doing all this to calorie talk, and we alluded to it from the Eating Disorder Institute. Um, let's talk about minimum calorie requirements. It is 2,500 or 3,500. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely bare minimum is 2,000. Yeah, that would be bare, 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 bare minimum. And that's not going to give you recovery. That's just going to keep you from... Doing more damage. Doing more damage, yeah, from being in... And that's without exercise... <laughs> That's 2,000 without exercise. Because if you're exercising, then you need to add more. Otherwise, you're going to be in that energy depletion state. Yep. And you're not, your organs won't repair. But that 2,500, 2,500, and again, this is minimum, as in you can do more. Um, that 2,500 is minimum if you're 25 or over. And since we're doing adulting, I'm going to kind of venture a guess that our audience is largely adults that are dealing with eating disorder recovery. So if you're over 25 and you're between like five foot and above mm -hmm. and whether or not you've lost your period, if you're showing no matter how long you have been restricting or starving yourself, the minimum requirements are 2,500 for recovery. Yeah. A whole lot of calories though. Like, I don't know. I, I eat all this food in my meal plan, and I'm like, this is so much food. I don't know if I could ever eat 2,500 calories. What would that even look like? like is it so much? I, okay, so I, I'm sure it is so much because going from restricting to eating is so much. But I'm also wondering, this just popped in my head, is it so much because you're choosing um, less nutrient-dense foods, and so you have to eat more of them? No, because uh -uh, okay. I... Because I had a really good dietitian once in treatment teach me how to <laughs> hey, 
hey, Jolene, yeah. <laughs> teach, me, teach me how to like, you know, compact my meals. So that it's not a lot of food, but it's all the stuff that I need. Yeah. And I'm a big fan of making sure you're cooking with like real butter, um, whole milk, don't use 1% or skim, you know, get your, because you can get those requirements met just by using real foods. <laughs> In your preparations, olive oil, you know, instead of cooking spray. Yeah. Yeah. I had to get rid of all the diet foods, all the um, 45 calorie bread, all of the, uh, um, like the random foods, the non-fat milk. I'm still allowed to have non-fat milk though. I don't know why they haven't taken that away, but I'm still, still allowed to have it. But yeah. Yeah. You use real butter now on grilled cheeses. It's weird. And delicious. <laughs> Have you found that like, it? okay, so fear, tell me how like your anxiety about food impacts its taste. Um, I know it's kind of an aside, but. So the best example I, I have of this is recently I had to go do a restaurant challenge with my husband and we went to this fancy um, restaurant called Down on Grayson in the Pearl in San Antonio or whatever. It was like, you know, uh, upper class people were there. And so we were like talking about our Roth IRAs and our savings account, which we don't have. <laughs> Trying to fit in. But anyway, we had to do, um, it was chips and guacamole and queso challenge. Mm -hmm. And I had to eat four. And the guacamole is not a fear food because that's, like, to me, that's a healthy fat. Like, I'm like, cool, whatever. <laughs> I'll go along with this so she doesn't <laughs> add anything. <laughs> but the chips and the queso, that's a different story. And so, like, I tried it at first and I was like, oh, I don't like this. And then I had to be like, well, why don't I like it? Is it the taste? No. Is it the texture? No. Oh, it's just my eating disorder. <laughs> <laughs> So after, like, I did that, I was, like, trying to be more mindful of, like, the taste and stuff. And it wasn't, like, too bad. It, I mean, it was, like, a little weird. It was kind of like a cheese ball queso. It wasn't, like, real queso. But it wasn't terrible. I would eat it again if I had to. <laughs> now, the trick is getting me to want to eat it again. That's the trick. Because sometimes I think, like, I do fear foods. Because if I don't successfully complete a fear food without a behavior, then I have to repeat it. And I'm like... On the really scary ones, I'm like, I'll just suck it up and do this because I don't want to do this again. But, like, eventually, like, what do they say? Fake it till you make it, I guess. So, yeah, like, I don't know. Yeah, and I like to, re uh, you know, I'm a reframer. I also like to reframe. I'm, fake it till you make it sounds, you know, like, this isn't genuine. This isn't me. And it almost takes away from it being an intentional choice. So I, I like to instead kind of like reframe it and focus on I'm doing I'm doing the things that you do to reach recovery. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I may not feel like eating that thing, but a person in recovery would eat this thing. <laughs> and so I am going to eat this thing. Yeah. That's what like I went on a rant in therapy about cheeseburgers. Cause <laughs> Your old nemesis. My old nemesis. I haven't had to eat one since September of last year. Wow. It's been a while. And um, it's like, I'm never just going to be at the point where I'm just going to order a cheeseburger because I want a cheeseburger. She's like, you might be. She's like, you don't know. I was like, all right, whatever. 
clearly I'm getting nowhere with this, but <laughs> I was like, well, I hope that maybe I could possibly one day eat a cheeseburger if I wanted a cheeseburger. But like, I don't know. The orthorexia part is so, mm -hmm. so prevalent that I don't know if I'll ever just be like, cool, I'll eat this and get heart disease. <laughs> Yeah, and I think that that's <clears throat> I'm glad you brought brought up the orthorexia part because I think when you're when you're looking at those calorie requirements in recovery, it's not because you probably it would take a, a massive ton, but you probably could meet your, you know, calorie or energy requirements with like fruits and vegetables, maybe. Uh <laughs> or like super 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 clean eating. I hate the word clean eating. Because again, it replies that it implies that anything that is not like a fruit or vegetable is dirty. <laughs> dirty cheeseburger. <laughs> dirty cheeseburger. Um, but if there's there's with especially with orthorexia, but also in you know traditional anorexia, there is an imbalance. You know, there tends to be this hyper focus on only eating foods that are clean or that are healthy. You know that that moral equivalency of this represents self-control to me, this represents being good to me. Um, and there's this imbalance. And so, yeah, the cheeseburger, you may never crave it because you're still out of balance. But those things like, you know, having a cheeseburger, having chips with guac and, and queso and salsa are to try to bring balance back in there. Whereas on the other end of the eating, dis like the eating disorder spectrum, you have your compulsive overeaters <clears throat> that tend to, well, sometimes they overeat healthy things, but they tend to focus on the unhealthy. And so that balance needs to come back in from the healthy side. But I think on both ends, you know, so what, does it matter that it's ice cream or yogurt? Yeah, it does. Because you're trying to kind of come back to the middle. Oh, Yeah. I had to do a frozen yogurt challenge because I was like, I'm not going to do ice cream. <laughs> yeah. But, like, aren't they, they're pretty much the same thing anyway, right? Pretty much. Did you know that turkey bacon and regular bacon have the exact same nutritional? Um... I did. You told me that. <laughs> I love that fact. It doesn't matter. I don't eat bacon anyway. I bought turkey bacon twice and I was like, and then I compared the packages on the back and I was like, oh, 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 hell no. Come on. Oh. Just go buy a regular bacon. Just buy the regular bacon. I've told people that. They're like, you're lying. You're lying. You're lying. I was like, who are you going to believe? <laughs> Yourself or the girl who has legit been in treatment tons of times and hanging out with dietitians? Like, or the packaging. Go to the store and check it for yourself. Google it. Yeah. It's amazing. But no, I think that, that you know, the, the fear foods are also important in having those like food challenges for yourself in restoring balance and in making sure that you're getting a variety of sources of nutrition. Yeah, like, and I don't just wait for it because my food challenges are usually Fridays and Mondays. So I have a dessert challenge usually, and I do that in the parent pickup line because I can't leave my car and I can't use any behaviors. So I told them, I don't, I think Recovery Me was really present that day. I was like, you know, during parent pickup line. I have nowhere to escape. <laughs> and then their heads were like, oh. <laughs> yeah, they were like, oh, genius. So, yeah, ever since then, all my snacks have been in the parent pickup line. But um, I'll sometimes challenge myself, though. 
Like I work at Starbucks, so mm -hmm. I'll go there. And the other day I was on my way to one of my appointments and I forgot to bring my snack. And I was like, oh, I'm gonna hear crap about this if I don't eat a snack. And so I got chocolate milk because I was like, oh, that's a starch and that's a milk. That's exactly mm -hmm. what I'm supposed to have. And it's a fear food. So I was like, whoa. And then I get a message saying, oh, that's not the right kind of starch. <laughs> you, you have to have, you have to also have a granola bar. I was like, yeah, but it's chocolate milk. You're like, but I, but, but I, but I tried. So it's just like, oh, dang it. So it's like learning the, I don't know, the nuances of meeting all my meal plan and not trying to like, Ed stills still present so it's like me trying to challenge myself but it's also like getting his say mm -hmm. with uh you know not eating everything i was supposed to be eating because i don't know like in my mind i thought that was enough but i guess it wasn't so yeah yeah and i yeah i think that's the thing is is enough is going to continually morph <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's where, I mean, think about what was enough when you're in the throes of an eating disorder versus what's enough when you're early in recovery is still not enough. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And now I'm like well into a year of my recovery that we can, you know, they've started upping meal plans and we've started adding this and that and more food fear calendars and whatever. So it's like also wanting to go back to <laughs> when I just got out of treatment and wanting it just to be a little bit easier. Mm -hmm. But... Yeah, I don't know, a lot of that is just this time of year, you know, the holidays and my birthday and stuff coming up. It's just trying to stay yeah. present and do the damn thing. Mm -hmm. Well, and that brings up a good point, too, because there's there's some people who say, like, rip off the Band-Aid, increase your meal plan every two to three days, and then hit those recovery calories as soon as possible. And then there's, like, the more slow and steady approach and you know, slowly increasing your edge of tolerance. And I'm not saying there's a right or wrong way. I think that's very individual. Um, but what do you think about the two? Um, I think I could probably do either or. I appreciate the slow and steady because I feel like I have a say. I feel like, you know, I'm being heard and validated and the things that I need and what. But, like, I also feel like if we just ripped off the band-aid and went, you know, hardcore into the meal plan or whatever, that I could more than likely do that because like, I like to be challenged. So, you know, that's like, I don't know, like, I'm a perfectionist. I want to do recovery right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but right. I also know that there is no right way to do recovery other than just don't do the bad things. <laughs> yeah, there's no right, there's no right way. There's no right pace. There's no set time that it takes. There's, yeah. Yeah, and There's I can no see, like, they're... Doing it perfectly. Like, they're going slow with it or whatever. Like, I understand why. Because, you know, like, my history or whatever, so they just want to, you know, give me, like, the best chance possible to recover, which I appreciate that. At least, like, at least this year I am in a place where, you know, I have those kinds of resources, so... That's a big deal. Like access to resources is uh, vital, I would say essential. Yeah. You're not going to recover if you don't have anyone who doesn't know eating disorder stuff. Right. Because then you're going to be stuck in your, in your eating disorder, kind of like thinking you're doing recovery and not realizing. I mean, we've seen it. We've talked about this before too. How many, how many professionals are, 
um, as we call them in my grad school program, wounded healers. <laughs> How many wounded healers are out there who think that they've gone through recovery or think that they've recovered from an eating disorder, but are still dieting after Christmas? <laughs> or their New Year's resolution is to lose weight. When I'm like, but but what does your weight have to do with anything? Well, if, and they're like, well, I want to get healthier. And I'm like, okay, well, then get healthier, but you might not lose weight. <laughs> and then people just look at me like, blink, 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 blink. <laughs> yeah. My, or, you know, they go on like excessive runs and forever. And yeah. 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 I know some people like that. And doing two a days, you know, I'm going to go to the gym in the morning and in the afternoon and this is my cardio day and and the only function of your cardio is to burn calories. Mm. Like when the only function of your exercise is to punish yourself for what you've eaten, you need to question why you're exercising. Mm -hmm. True story. I haven't exercised in 15 months. Just walking and yoga. That's all. That movement though. Yeah. Well, like, I miss it because I used to do CrossFit, so I miss it, but, well, I really miss it, but I also, like, want to make sure I'm in a place where I'm doing it because I enjoy it, mm-hmm. and I want to be strong and not, like, fit some sort of body image or whatever that I have in my head. And also, I have to eat the meal plan, like, to completion, I think, a couple weeks before I can get any kind yeah. of time. Yeah, and that's a, that's a good point. Kind of like what I said toward the beginning. If you're if you're exercising at all, then you need to up your calories. I mean, or up your meal plan. Because if you're, you know, if you're going for a run or you're lifting weights a few times a week, your body is using that energy to exercise instead of to recover and repair. So you need that. You need it. I think I would be okay eating the twenty five hundred calories. If I also was allowed to work out. <laughs> <laughs> well, see, like eat the 20, if you eat the 2,500 calories and you work out, then you might have to eat like closer to 3,000 calories. I know. And well, I said that to my dad. I think I said it to one somebody on my treatment team. And and then after I said it, I was like, oh, that was disordered. <laughs> We're just sitting here thinking like, it's really disordered. Why did I just say that? But nobody caught up on it. I was like, well, maybe it wasn't disordered. I don't know. See, that, that's the tricky thing, unless you're really savvy. And I still, I still will catch myself saying disordered things every now and then. Um, like when I was pregnant, I remember I was pregnant with twins. And I remember saying to somebody, um, I don't know, the topic of like weight gain during pregnancy came up. And I remember saying to somebody like, oh, I've only gained 12 pounds, as if like that's an accomplishment. And I caught it coming out of my mouth, and I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> Take it back. Take it back. That doesn't matter. What does it matter that I've only gained 12? Like, that I've gained 12 or if I gained 20. Like, what matters is that I'm, you know, staying healthy to grow two humans in my body. Um, so it still comes out. And so I think it is hard to catch because it is so, so, so pervasive in the culture. And you, yeah, and, like, you have to constantly be on guard with that crap, too, because otherwise, if, you know, if I don't pause before I say some things, I'm sure everything I say could be totally disordered. But like, I'm trying to be, like, more helpful to people and stuff and shoot down their food morality and crazy diet culture crap. But also, I'm like, 
here I am doing this thing again. <laughs> but I, and I think too, we have to remember, I'm not, I'm not ever going to say that appearance doesn't matter, right? Or that your comfort, like how you feel about your body and in your body doesn't matter because that's also bullshit. That's just the other end of this, the BS spectrum, yeah (laughs) and the the spectrum of bs ed's on one end and like completely not regarding it is on the other if i had no regard for my health or no regard for um my appearance i mean appearance does play a role whether we like it or not in how we move through our society and so to pay zero attention to that is also not serving you well and so i think but i do think the trick is to like constantly be checking in with yourself and going okay is this ed is it not Um, I think one good way to check in is like is it a preference or can I you know can I leave it would I prefer would I prefer not to have the stretch marks from my children sure can I can I live with my body yeah I can you know without doing something disordered (laughs) yeah and so I think that's that's kind of like your check-in is like Does this bother me? Would it be my preference to appear a certain way? You know, maybe, but can I still love and care for the body that I'm in? If the answer is yes, move forward. If the answer is no, that's where the work is to do. Yeah, I read a really good blog about, I think it was, I don't call it something like, I don't love my body and that's okay. Like, the woman was talking about how everyone's like, you have to love your body, et cetera, et cetera. And she's like, I think I can just make friends with my body. And she was someone that had been in eating disorder recovery, I think. And she was just like, you know, I'm not going to sit there and say I love my body all day long because I don't. But, like, I can make friends with my body and appreciate my body for what it's done for me and for what it gives me and stuff like that. Yeah. And really, I think, isn't that love? Yeah, I mean, because I I think sometimes we confuse loving our bodies with with liking it. You know, like I I uh, often say in my some of my groups, like I'm never gonna. I, sorry to Nickelback, but I don't like Nickelback. I'm never gonna like Nickelback, and there's nothing you can do to make me like Nickelback. And sometimes it's the same about our bodies. You know, I may not like it, but that doesn't mean I don't love it. Because mm-hmm. for me anyway, love is love is what you do. Love is service. And so if I am attending to my body and trying to give it both things that are delicious and nutritious and I'm trying to move and I'm getting rest and I'm taking care of my illnesses and all that stuff, that is love. That is loving your body. But think how much you neglect your body in an eating disorder. Oh, yeah, like you totally shut off from your body. You've got like that disconnected head thing going on. Like you're like, I don't know what's going on in my body. You're like, That's, my body is this region down here <laughs> below yeah, my neck. I don't and really know anything about. Something's going on. And it's especially true for like trauma survivors because you definitely want to disconnect from your body then. Mm-hmm. Like I'm in that uh, trauma IOP or whatever. And every time we have to do uh, like meditation or breathing and she's like put your hand on your stomach we're all like oh hell no (laughs) yeah and that's an important thing for both you know anybody struggling with an eating disorder any practitioners out there to be aware of um we i mean deep breathing is like the mindfulness go-to let's focus on the breath but that is incredibly difficult 
for somebody with an eating disorder yeah like number one i'm having to like sense my body which i tried to check out and not do and number two i have to like fill my breath fill my belly (laughs) and expand like oh get off yeah yeah, yeah. I had that discussion with the, she's a psychosomatic therapist or whatever. And I told her, I was like, yeah, that's like, basically you're slamming us back into our bodies and we don't want to be there. She's like, oh, that's a really good way of putting it. I was like, oh, thank you. It wasn't mine. That's like, you gotta, you gotta build your body tolerance. Yeah. Yeah. They were, someone suggested to me that I try nude yoga for body love. I was like, I don't have the time in the day to be naked around my house. I was like, yoga. what, exposure therapy? Like, Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's a double entendre. <laughs> it's like, no, it's a no for me, thanks. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's lots of different ways you can build body love and body appreciation. And if naked yoga works for you, it works for you, but... It doesn't work for me. <laughs> I'm good, thanks. Okay, it's a no for me. <laughs> what else are we going to talk about today? Well, I think, because again, the exercise is often part, we, we think of that as part of self-care. Yeah. Um, but I'm going to go back to constantly, you got to be constantly challenging yourself. Am I, am I doing this because I feel run down and I'm tired of being winded going up the stairs? And so I want to have a little bit more fitness, you know, I want to be able to chase my toddler. And now I'm infants, you know, what am I, what am I exercising for? Um, if yeah. it's, if it's to feel better about your body and in your body and to take care of your body. Cause I mean, that's, that's really the function of fitness is to keep your muscles in shape, including your heart. Um, and if the function for you is just on six pack abs or a Brazilian booty or losing 10 pounds in 10 days, then and when you know, you might need to stop and ask yourself some questions. I'm hoping to be able to get back to CrossFit, but I'm also okay with not doing it right now because I'm so out of shape. <laughs> like just walking in yoga for like the past 15 months hasn't really done anything for me. So, and um, I I like CrossFit because it's a team. It's kind of like a team sport, I think. Mm-hmm. And you've got this great community of people who don't judge you and are just encouraging and stuff. I think that's kind of like why I fell in love with it in the first place. But also, um, I kind of get really competitive with myself. So I'm like, i got to take a step back and just do what I can do. Like, not worrying about, you know, I'll have to, when I join another gym here, I'll have to go through their basic course or whatever. And I always start off with, don't talk to me about your nutrition crap. (laughs) Yeah. I want to hear about your paleo. No, yeah. I don't need to do Whole30. I don't need to do paleo. And definitely no ketogenic diets. Oh, my gosh. Okay, so since we're talking about calorie requirements, I do want to talk about these fads for just a moment. Yes. I mean, on the surface, I don't have... Oh, no, I'm not even going to say that. I have a problem with paleo. I have a problem with any... Plan. The founder of paleo has a problem with paleo. Yeah, whenever when it, when it, when it's excluding entire food groups, I have a problem. Mm-hmm. Um, and especially when it comes to like the ketogenic diet, do we realize that when your body is in a ketogenic state, it's eating its brain? Yeah. Like I don't know if people realize that they're like I you know just have so much more 
energy. And I'm like, how? Because you're not consuming the source of energy. You're, you're consuming, your body is cannibalizing itself to become an energy source, which on the surface you may think is super cool to lose fat quickly, but you're yeah. also losing brain mass pretty quickly. Yeah. And they say that that treats epilepsy. Have you heard that? You know, and here's the thing, like, I, I don't doubt that it may have some benefit for people with some chronic inflammatory diseases um, or things like that. But for, for the lay population, for most of us, unless your doctor has specifically prescribed a ketogenic diet for one of those reasons, you don't need it. Yeah. You yeah. need glucose. I have, I have family members doing the ketogenic diet. I made a weird face. <coughs> refer to refer to previous rant. But yeah, I agree because sometimes I'll look on Pinterest because I have to figure out meal plan meals or whatever, and I'll like look up whatever, and then it'll be like this paleo meal. I'm like, well, I really want to eat that because that meets all my exchanges. It's got like the carbs and the fats and the meat and the veggies or whatever. And then I'm like, oh, it's paleo. Oh, I don't want to put that on my meal plan. <laughs> I want to get called out for eating something paleo. But here's the thing. It's just because something may fit a parameter of being paleo doesn't mean you have to follow a paleo diet. Like if you see a re recipe that you like and it happens to be paleo, have at it. Again, it's about checking yourself. Now, if every, every recipe I pin is paleo, okay. Maybe, maybe I'm trying to like avoid dairy right now. <laughs> let me, let me check myself and let me work through that. But you know, if you ha see one recipe that you like, that looks really delicious and it does, you know, have a majority of nutritional, like a variety of nutritional components, have at it. Yeah, I think I will. And then I'll just think I'll be like, so what? <laughs> so what? Because then, because you're, again, you're, you sh you're, there should be enough flexibility in your meal plan and in your diet that it shows that, that they're like, okay, so I had a, you know, paleo dinner or like a meatless Monday or whatever, you know, you're doing to save methane gas around the world. And, <laughs> and then the next day you, know, you, you had meat or the next day, then you had a cinnamon roll because it was from the bakery down the street and it's delicious, you know, whatever. Cinnamon rolls. Is that a fear food? Yeah, it's on my list. Oh, I love cinnamon rolls. They're my favorite. <laughs> I haven't had one in, I think, since I was pregnant with my son. I'm a connoisseur of cinnamon rolls across Tulsa. Um, There's a, a bakery in Tulsa that has cinnamon roll cookies. Ooh. See, now, normally Savoy, I would say, is my favorite cinnamon roll. But these days, there's like this the small cinnamon roll at the bakery down the street. Little J's. Oh, my goodness good stuff oh i'll have to go there and eat it sometime it's a little bit of a drive <laughs> it's a bit of a drive next time you're in Still hours. <laughs> <laughs> okay so um i'm not did we hit caloric requirements enough because like oh we need to talk about caloric requirements even if you are overweight in an eating disorder recovery yes I mean, we need those minimum there. those minimum requirements hold true no matter if you're underweight or not because it's not about your weight. It's about it's about the the depleted state that your body is in. Um, I saw this in one of the, in an article I read, kind of preparing for today. 
a person who maybe starts out at a, at a higher BMI level, like, I don't know, let's say 30, and they restrict and they're engaged in disorder eating and they get down to like a BMI of 24, guess what? They're going to be praised. They're going to be praised. I read same Oh, you read the same thing? And then, yeah, yeah. And then you take somebody with a BMI of like, who starts off around 24 and they like, what would they say? Go down to 17? 17. Yeah. yeah. And then that person's going to be like, I'm really worried about you. Yeah. I've lived that. Yeah. My doctor was like, oh, I'm so proud of you. You've lost all this weight. <laughs> but I now was seeing her because I was cold all the time. I was passing out. I was pale. Like, yeah. I was having But hey, I lost weight. So good for me. Yeah, and that's why I want to go around and educate some physicians because they do. It's like, oh, well, look at you. And they don't bother to look at, like, what, what, what's been the time span here? Yeah, let's look at these yeah. other symptoms like cold sensitivity and, you know, your hair's brittle and falling out and, you know, I'm foggy and I keep forgetting what you're asking me. Like, hmm, could be an eating disorder. But, but yeah, those re- recovery requirements hold true no matter what weight you currently are if you have been engaged in severe, well, I would even say any restricting, but if you've been engaged in restricting and starving yourself for any period of time, mm-hmm. yeah, 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 because here's the thing, that 2,500, because <laughs> again, most people estimate that they take in around 2,000, but they underestimate and it's actually probably closer to 2,500, is what you need in general. Now, granted, everybody is different. Everybody has some different needs, but it's not going to be drastic enough. You're not so special that you can only consume 1,500 calories, right? In that variability range, like, well, everybody's different. Maybe I only need 1,500. No. Everybody's different, so maybe you only need, like, 2,200 instead of 2,500. 22.5. Or maybe you need 2,700. You know, because you've started doing CrossFit again. Yeah. And they need to be all in carbs for your muscles. Mm-hmm. Yeah, people who don't eat carbs when they work out. Drives me crazy. And, like, that'll do, restricting and stuff will do crap to your metabolism. Yes. Because every time you lose weight, your, like, metabolism and calorie needs, they go down. And then when we gain weight back... Our metabolism is not like automatically going to go back to normal. No, it, the the effects can last. What is was it? Six years? Yeah, six to seven years. Yeah, the effects of even a short duration of restricting can last six to seven years. So please remember that when you finally reach recovery calories, <laughs> that it's still once you finally reach that, it's going to take six to seven years to really fix your metabolism of consistent. here's the thing you are not in full remission you may be in partial remission right you are not in full complete remission until you are consistently eating around 2,000 to 2,500 calories a day I kind of want to cry for six to seven years to see your metabolism repair oh yeah that sucks because I was thinking because I asked my dietitian like how long how long before this meal plan works, and, like, I begin losing weight again. Like, how long? She's like, oh, if you stick to it for two weeks, I'm like, I don't think that's right. I don't either. Because, again, I think, based on the science I read, that it could take six or seven years. Yeah. That, like, I mean, and you, 
And again, you may or may not lose weight depending on what your body's set point is now. Yep. My, my worry is that my body's set point is where I was before I started um, like heavily restricting, so I'm going to gain all that weight back. The only way to find out. It's kind of like that thing like, where... Let's check in seven years from now. <laughs> oh, man. Seven years from now, I'll have my degree. And you'll know. And you'll know what your step point is. If you stay, if you stay on in recovery, by then, hopefully you'll know. Yeah. No, that's the plan. Stay in recovery because the other one would lead to death. So yeah, yeah. Death is kind of a downfall. It is the thing that, like, most of creation spends its time trying to avoid. Yeah, so weird. But in eating disorders, you're just like, hey, whatever. Your amygdala is so screwed up that you're completely terrified and you run away from a bowl of spaghetti. But death is cool. I know. And so it's important to remember, too, like, you have that realization, but that doesn't mean it's easy to undo because it's... It's literally like dramatic shifts in your brain circuitry that you're also, I mean, you're not just repairing your metabolism, you're repairing, you're repairing your, your neurons, your neural pathways. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I reminded, that reminds me of that, um, bus video I watched, the guy's driving a bus. Oh, yeah. The act metaphor, people on the bus. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I love that one. There's a new one too on YouTube where it's like people acting it out. Like real life people? Yeah. yeah. Oh, shut and, up. And it's, it's to ask a girl out on a date. So in this metaphor for ACT, um, acceptance, commitment, therapy, the people on the bus metaphor is basically saying you don't have to fight your thoughts, your feelings, your behavior, you know, your past, um, because you can't. Um, you can't drown it out. You can't tell it to shut up. You can't fight them. Um, you can keep doing what they say, and then you're going to be miserable. Or you can just bring them along with you for the ride. And so in this one, like the guy's like, he wants to ask out his, his friend, his female friend, but he's afraid it's going to ruin the relationship. So he's just being trailed by people who are like, don't do it. Step away from there. Stay safe. You're going to embarrass yourself. Ugh. <laughs> I can't wait to watch that. Yeah, it's delightful. He does eventually get closer to his value of intimacy. That's good. So they go on the date. Well, I don't know. It's just a guy holding up a sign that says intimacy. <laughs> Get a sign for your house like that and just <laughs> hold it up for your house. I'm just going to label all the things in my house with what value they are. Yeah. <laughs> my Starbucks cup. Uh, what would that be? Energy. Yeah, but <clears throat> I think people on the bus is a really good metaphor too, though, for, for an eating disorder. You know, yeah. those, those thoughts, those sensations, I mean, you know, cause I say they can become the canary in the coal mine, so to speak. Cause if they're getting louder, they're probably getting louder for a reason. There's a, tr- you know, there's the trauma trigger that you're dealing with. Um, you're dealing with stress, you're dealing with shame, you're dealing with some, you know, something has come up. And so then it becomes less about, I have to do that. And more about like, oh, hey, you showed up to help me and tell me that there's something jacked up I need to take a look at. Thanks. I'm kind of there now. Yeah? Yeah. It's an awesome moment. Do you have the whistle? I don't, but I can like... 
<laughs> there. <laughs> That's my celebratory whistle. Well, because I was in one of the therapy things I do, and I was thinking, like, I was talking about something, and I was like, oh, hey, that's, that's there to remind me that this. And so it was kind of cool because, like, I kind of ran into somebody that I knew from my past at the grocery store, and it really screwed me up. And so um, I was like, why is this messing with me? Well, obviously, it's that time of year. Dear God, I thought, I thought, well, here we go. I'm not going to come back from this. But then, like, I slowly, my team gave me the um, the room to, like, actually come back from it. And I was like, oh, hey, I can do this. Cool. Yes. That's awesome. Cool. And now I'm like, <laughs> I, I walked into uh, my dietitian appointment. She's like, yay, you're eating again. I was like, can we just not talk about it? Like, <laughs> It's done. It's over. We're not going back. Yeah, because like especially if you if you're dealing with any perfectionism, you have there there is this like weird conundrum where succeeding at recovery is is failing at, at an eating disorder. Yeah. <laughs> and even though you know like you want to fail at it because you want to live and have energy and do things, that that wiring is still crossed in there. Yeah, I was talking to a friend that I made who's kind of just like me which is crazy like eating disorder wise i thought i was like magical unicorn or something and um we were talking i was like yeah because you know when you're feeling at your eating disorder or when you have the eating disorder and you don't fit the stereotype or you don't look like you have an eating disorder or you don't look like you're sick enough or whatever you feel like you're failing so you have to try harder and it's like oh mm-hmm. no yeah, and then that becomes this vicious cycle, too, where people are like, but you don't look like you have an eating disorder. Yeah, I get that a lot. And you're like, I'll show you. Oh, wait, no. No, I won't. No, no. No, that I'm having that thought because I feel put down. Okay. I feel invalidated in something. I don't need to be validated and screw you away. Yeah, yeah. And it's a weird, I mean, it's a weird shift, but it's, it's, and I think that's, it's not so much that um, what wor- words are hard, Tara. They're <laughs> <laughs> terrible. They're terrible. Um, but I think you know when you're when you're in recovery, it's hard, but it's not as hard as it was. Yeah, if that makes sense. Because I know last last time I talked, we talked a lot about how difficult it was. <laughs> <laughs> it seemed it may have seemed really intimidating and it is i mean be, but in i think once you kind of reach that point where you're reaching now where you've grown that self-awareness to a certain degree then it's still hard right it's not that it's that old saying right what is it it doesn't get easier you get better yeah <laughs> but uh, that's kind of it you know, it's it's that you reach that point where you've developed that that pause enough to step back and see what's really going on rather than just be swept away in it. And the greater you can extend that pause, the easier it becomes to make a recovery choice. Not that recovery necessarily becomes easier, you just get better at it. Yeah, that's kind of where I am now. Like and then when I do like do behaviors or whatever, I'm like, oh, I know better than that. Why didn't I use this skill or why didn't I use that skill? So I'll make a note like next time, next time, go grab ice and put it on the back of your neck and chill out. Literally. Literally. 
but yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah, I didn't ever think that I would be at the place that I am now. Well, that's pretty cool. I was thinking about that today when I was reading all of this stuff that I wasn't supposed to be reading. <laughs> and I was like, oh, hey, I kind of know that already. Oh, hey. Oh, but like knowing means I have to do something about that. <laughs> mm-hmm. And that's, you know, we've talked about that before, too. That's the difference between like the only difference between people who recover and people who don't is eventually at some point you stop reading about it and you just do it. Yeah. Yeah. You have all the knowledge now. Just apply it. Like, just do it. <laughs> then Nike, just do it. You got to embody it. <laughs> It's not yet embodied or lived. It's it's not yet learned. Yeah. Embodied. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so that's a good point. That's going to be, that's our jumping off point then for the next session if you, or next podcast if you're up for it, is um, embodiment. Like what's going, interoception and proprioception and how to get back, how to get back in your body. Let's do it because we're doing a lot of work on that right now. Okay. Well, that's it. Well, I think that's a good stopping point for us today. Yeah, I got to go get my kids from the parent pickup line. Ooh, that means it's snack time. (laughs) I'm kind of hungry, which is crazy. All right. So join us next time for adulting where we will be be discussing embodiment and the different types of... uh, body cues that we need to repair and listen for in the service of loving our bodies and as always if you have any suggestions or questions you can email at r mitchell m-i-t-c-h-e-l-l at resiliencecentertulsa.com and we'll see you next time